Well, like Adria mentioned, it's after Thanksgiving, so I'm re- bring on the snow. Let's let's go. I am I am ready. It is it is Christmas time. It's my favorite time of the year. And if it's not your favorite time of the year, I promise to not let my pity for you overshadow my joy, um, because it, it is it is the most wonderful time of year. And I get, I, you know, maybe your family traditions have changed. Maybe you have some things that are a little bit different. But man, as our attention turns to gatherings and food and lights and all those family and friends and gifts. You know, there's a story that we tell ourselves that affect how we experience all of those things. Now, I think about all the things that I used to be able to do but don't do anymore necessarily with my family, still with very, very much fondness and joy and all of that kind of stuff. We used to go cut down a Christmas tree. I think of my grandmother's homemade fresh bread. It was amazing. We would toast it, and I feel like I could eat a whole loaf of that, like right now, just a little bit of butter. It's amazing. Uh, We would make, and we still actually do this with my kids now, with my parents, make sugar cookies and decorate those. Uh, It's great stuff. Presents. We used to do presents on Christmas Eve morning. That was our Christmas day, because Christmas day we would go visit family, and I always enjoyed getting to do that. Got to open up my presents one day early, and that was amazing. And I get it. I know that over time, you know, chapters, more chapters get written. Uh, family visits come along maybe with some tension in the holiday season. Uh, maybe we've lost some loved ones. Maybe things are tight right now. Maybe things are, are we just kind of know that they're not going to be the same. Um, and maybe the night before Christmas sometimes gets more attention than the morning to come. But I also know that there's a lot more joy out there to be experienced. And so this Christmas season, I want to invite you to be a little bit more expectant with me, uh, to, to let the anticip- anticipation build, because there's a grander narrative into which we're all invited, one whose chapters are written with hope and love and joy and peace. And I get it, you come to church, you think, oh, we're going to talk about the Christmas story. Well, that, that's got to be about Jesus and that kind of thing. But there's also a really, uh, another really famous Christmas story, maybe even one that you read or read currently, you know, with your kids, uh, or you, used, you were used to on Christmas Eve. It was called The, the Night Before Christmas. You guys, have, you guys have heard this story, right? You know, originally it was called A Visit from St. Nicholas. The title has changed a little bit. Even I discovered this as I was reading through some of the history of, of the story and where it came from. Um, even some of the reindeer names have changed over the years. Did you know that? There's all kinds of fascinating things that, that have happened. I, you may not know how much Twas the Night Before Christmas has actually impacted how we experience Christmas today. Uh, we're coming up on the 200-year anniversary. This was written anonymously. It was posted in the Troy Sentinel newspaper December 23, 1823. So we're coming up on the 200-year anniversary of this. And before this, we thought about Santa a little bit differently in our culture. We approached the holidays a little bit differently. It was written by a biblical scholar named Clement Clark Moore, and he wrote it for, for his children. There's a little bit of debate about the authorship because I, I guess some other people really want to be known as the one who, who, wrote, uh, who wrote the story. Uh, but as a testimony to how important the stories that we tell and repeat to one another and ourselves really are, this once private anonymous poem just meant to be a family has completely reshaped, like I mentioned before, how we think about this holiday. Moore, for example, is largely credited with creating the modern day image of both Santa Claus and our whole idealistic view of being home on Christmas Eve and all the anticipation and expectation we have uh, in that evening. So, in fact, I've got a couple of pictures for you of Santa over the years and how that's kind of changed uh, for us. So this is the OG Santa over here on my right to your left. That's Okay, it really, that's, uh, that's an actual picture of him. 
Um, and I know some of you are shocked right now and dismayed, and you're glad that your kids are in Velocity Kids right now, so you don't have to have a, an awkward conversation. Uh, but this is the OG. This is St. Nicholas of Myra, or Myra. And, uh, and St. Nicholas, man, St. Nick had, had a little bit of a reputation. So he's kind of a powerful bishop. Um, in fact, there's a legend around him that he punched a heretic in the face in a meeting. It got a little contentious. So, uh, you know, Santa, you know, you know how Santa felt about people who are naughty, right? And then we kind of, as we go through, we kind of get this depiction of here's this, you know, wizened old man with his green cloak, you know, and he's going around and he's giving gifts to the good girls and boys. And then Coca-Cola came along. <laughs> And so we got, you know, uh, we got Santa with his bottle of Coke there. I put the other picture over that just so we didn't get any, any copyright stuff, right? Uh, it's, it's changed quite a bit over the years. I mean, I, do we even talk about the naughty and nice list? Is that a thing anymore? I don't, is that, I don't, do we threaten children with coal? Because I feel like we should threaten children with coal. I feel, I feel like maybe that's a missing part of our society now. I would love for you, I guess maybe now there's this, uh, Elf that we can put on a uh, raised platform to, uh, to watch over us and report back to, to Santa. So we have that. But I would love for somebody, if somebody could just try this out, put some coal in your kids' stockings this year and just let me know how that. I just want to, I'm just kind of curious of how, how, how it would go over. This poem has a rich history of how we experience modern-day modern Christmas, and we've made cultural adjustments and modifications along the way. Uh, we've kind of added in some of the materialism and the commercialization and, um, you know, kind of been part of largely setting the wrong expectations for what Christmas is all about. However, there's a deeper and richer narrative for the Christmas season that was the original inspiration for this one. And even though it can be hard to maybe draw the lines or kind of see clearly the connections, um, even if it's hardly recognizable. If you're here this morning, you're probably familiar with the birth story of Jesus. And so we maybe kind of know that that one exists, but you might not realize how long this story has been told and how many different versions there are within the text of Scripture. But one of them is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. And we're going to be reading that this morning. If you have your Bible this, this morning, we'd love for you to turn to that text. Isaiah was a prophet whose ministry began in the year 740 B.C. So we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus even comes onto the scene. And Isaiah, as a prophet, he's warning his people, the people of God, the nation of Israel, about a coming dark period in their history as a result of judgment for how they treated their fellow man and how they've ignored God's commands. Isaiah is talking to the people in his prophetic message about the Assyrians and the Babylonians and how they're going to come and thrust the people of God into a period of darkness. However, within this prophetic message to, God, to God's people, to call them to repentance, Isaiah is also giving them a message of hope and of light, a spark that will ignite and engulf the darkness and finally bring forth the fulfillment of all of God's covenantal promises with his people. At some point in our lives, uh, it's earlier or later, depending on your story and how long you've lived it, we make the transition from childlike innocence and happy-go-lucky holiday celebration and expectation to anticipation to the complications of responsibility and experience. But that doesn't mean that there's any less joy available. And long before Jesus was born, we find the Christmas story in a version written hundreds of years right before the dawn. And let's read it now. Isaiah chapter 9. Verse 2, "'Twas the night before Christmas." That's not actually in the text. <laughs> "'The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. 
You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, I don't know if you've ever read Twas the Night Before Christmas on Christmas Eve, you know, as a, as a kid or with your family or any of that kind of stuff. Maybe you don't do that and don't have that tradition. But maybe, uh, maybe this year you could start a new one and include this, this story, this poem, reading, reading this the night before, before Christmas, this poem from Isaiah. Because what we choose to focus on and value and prioritize has such a major impact on how we experience the season that is to come. The stories that we tell are the stories that we live. And Twas the Night Before Christmas, even that story isn't just about a visit from St. Nick. It's also about memory and expectation and tradition. And if we feel like there's something missing that we can't quite recapture, or maybe we never even felt during this time of year, it might be because we need reminding or we need introducing to this story of Jesus. And so it's the things that we focus on and repeat to ourselves, or the people that we are closest to, you know, what they focus on and repeat, we, we tend to allow those things to impact us. You know, we tend to match up with those things, and we know that kind of stuff. You're around positive people, you feel a little bit more positive. You're around negative people, you feel a, a little bit more negative. You get consumed with all the visions of materialism and commercialization within the Christmas season, you feel a little less um, magical, you know, but when you spend time reflecting and focused on the real meaning behind the season, there's a little bit more joy to experience. If you're feeling humbuggy about Christmas, no perfect be allowed. We, we get it. It's all right. But you need to spend some time with people who enjoy the season for the right reasons. Because if we're not reminding ourselves of the right stories, we won't be expecting the right endings. Here's what the night before can be like. Right before Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verses 2 through 7, Isaiah is writing about what's to come and what the people of God are about to experience. Uh, this is from Isaiah chapter 8, verses 19. Uh, when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Isaiah is talking about what the problem has been with the people of God. They haven't been looking to God. Uh, they've been looking everywhere else. Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. I mean, this is the description of the people that God had set apart, you know, to, to show the light of his glory through, and they have strayed so far, they've lost so much perspective because they were looking for answers, you know, from any source other than God, either because they've gotten out of the habit and were overwhelmed by what everybody else was doing and what was going on in the world and in their own lives, or they just didn't like what they were hearing. And when they were wandering around in the darkness of their own making, they kept looking to the ground without realizing that if they would look up to where the light comes from, they have the coming light of the dawn to anticipate and to expect and to look forward to. 
This is a time of year that I tend to spend as many early mornings as I can out in the woods. Uh, this is before the light uh, you know, come, of the sun comes up, and so I'm out walking in the woods trying to find uh, a tree uh, to be in, and I do that with anticipation and expectation because I know that the sun is coming up. I don't, I don't do that at nighttime when I know it's going to be dark for, you know, however it's dark forever now. Um, boo to daylight savings time. It's terrible and should be abolished. And that is my platform, by the way. If, if they're ever, that's my political platform that I'm running. I know I'm, I'm going to have one person not vote for me because we talked about that a couple weeks ago, but that's a, I'm all right with that. It would be purposeful, purposeless for me to do that when I know the sun is not going to, uh, to, to rise, aimless to wander around the dark the night before and be upset about it because I know where and when the sun is coming up. When I orient my expectations around what is true, my expectation it isn't only you know, just more reasonable, but it also is something that produces more joy. And what God is expressing in this Christmas story from Isaiah 9 is that even though we tend to let darkness overshadow and overwhelm our thinking and squash our anticipation of what he's doing, there is light to come that overcomes even the deepest darkness if we would just take the time to look and to remember that this is what he promises to do and he fulfills his promises. Here's how Isaiah introduces the poem. In Isaiah chapter 9, he writes, Nevertheless, and this is right after the verses we just read in chapter 8, Nevertheless, even though this is what the people are doing, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. And Matthew, who's writing to a Jewish audience in his gospel, he brings up this same exact passage in his introduction to Jesus, beginning his message of the kingdom of heaven. So in Matthew chapter 4, I'm going to have the verses uh, here on the back, but I'm not going to read all of them. He repeats the same words from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. And he shares, hey, this is where Jesus is coming from. This is where he's going to be. And in verse 16, he repeats that same message of light. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Despite all the darkness established by the kingdoms of this world that the nation of Israel had gotten caught up in hundreds and hundreds of years ago before, and that we're caught up in now in the context of the Roman Empire having oppressed them then when Matthew is writing, the light of the kingdom of heaven had come, despite the darkness that surrounded them. And all throughout, all throughout Isaiah's Christmas poem, we're given images for how to recognize the light and set our expectations for where it is to come. In verse 3, he talks about enlarging the nation. He's talking about the kingdom of his people. Jesus' kingdom is more expansive than any other. It includes more than any other. And as, as, uh, as Isaiah is describing the nation of Israel that God is promising for them to experience, as, as he's describing what he's promising for the nation to experience, he's talking about how much rejoicing there will be, how much joy there will be. And it's because gratefulness for God's provision increases joy. And when we recognize that and we're reminded of that story, it changes how we experience everything else. We just finished celebrating Thanksgiving and just taking time to express what we're grateful for changes our moods and perspectives. Uh, we've got some friends that host um, a Friendsgiving, and uh, they gather a bunch of people around. And I know uh, when Renee and I always enjoy going and being there because we get to be with our friends. But there's also people we don't know, too. 
And, and that, you know, for introverts, we're kind of like, all right, we're just going to hang, you know, in the corner here and hang out with people that we, we do know uh, and that kind of thing. I, we don't really do that. We hang out with everybody, and it's, it's a blast. We love that. But one of the things that they do, which is super awkward, um, is, is, they, um, is they have everybody, and they, they put you on the hook. You can't eat until you do this, okay? So they have everybody in, in the room, and just everybody shares what they're thankful for for, for the year. And I will tell you, it's one of the, I'm, I'm joking about it being awkward. It's not at all. We, you know, I really enjoy doing that with strangers. Um, <laughs> it, 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 is, it, is ju- it just sets the tone for the evening in such a meaningful way. Um, it, it's just an incredible thing because of how vulnerable and intentional people tend to be when they just orient their perspective around that, that, one, that one thing. Um, and it's just a special, it's a special moment. And then we get to the food, you know, which is why we're there. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. It, it's just a, such, a, it's such a meaningful thing to do. It such a, sets such a meaningful tone for the gathering. I see people who um, they make the commitment all throughout the month of November that each day they take time to, a lot of times I see it on Facebook, but I think some of you probably like write it down or share it with other people in other ways, but um, they write down something that they're thankful for each day of the month. And I got to tell you, I know some of us are probably in the, in the frame of mind where maybe we feel like, oh, that's cheesy, you know, it's just a social media thing. But I, I want to tell you, it really is an encouraging commitment that I see people make. And it's such a meaningful thing. If you're struggling with contentment, if you're f- struggling with satisfaction, if you're struggling with joy th- this season, maybe, maybe, maybe start off your day with just mentioning what, sh- what you're grateful for. Even if it just starts with thanking God for the food that you eat uh, before you eat it and recognizing, um, and this is, a, this is one of Rob's you know, pastor pet peeves, uh, don't feel self-conscious about this at all, um, but recognizing that it's not the food that needs to be blessed. Right. Maybe there's a little bit of fear that, like, I don't want to choke on my mashed potatoes, so I better, God, please bless the food so it goes, goes down properly. Um, it's not the food that needs to be blessed, but, but we recognize that God has richly blessed us with the food that we have. And incorporating gratefulness for God's goodness in your life every day it will give you a different outlook on life. It will be brighter. It will be more joyful. It will be more expectant. It will be more anticipatory. Uh, in verses 4 through 5, in this Christmas poem, um, uh, uh, the gratefulness that Isaiah is talking about and we get to participate in uh, daily exists because in verses 4 through 5, he describes how God has freed us from being enslaved to darkness. And this can be represented in a lot of different ways. It can be talking about you know, people who have oppressed the nation of Israel, but it can also be about our sin or the sin we find ourselves impacted by in a world that's broken by it. Um, the, the reason that we can pra- practice gratefulness daily is because God has given us the type of hope that is determined by what, by what he's already accomplished. God time and time again has given examples of how he's always pulled through. I mean, Isaiah chapter 8, that, those ending verses, he's talking about, this is what the nation of Israel is doing. I can't, you know, here they are again. Same thing as, uh, with us. I can't, Rob's making the same mistake again. I can't believe he's participating in the same sin again. And yet, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, nevertheless, light is coming for the people that are in distress. Because time and time again, God gets us out of the jam we get ourselves in. There's no darkness that we can be stuck in or get ourselves stuck in 
that God cannot do away with. And not only does he promise to break the burden that we can't bear, but he promises to destroy even the instruments used against us. There will be a permanent end and change. The imagery in verses 4 through 5 of like the, the material and tools of war are just going to be done away with by God. There's a commitment there that we have to make, though, to hold on to the hope that he gives. One of the things that's always fascinating to me about being out before the sun rises and kind of being there and getting to be in the woods and watch the sun come up is that you can always feel the temperature drop as the sun is coming up. It always gets colder as the sun is rising. I don't, you know, wake up really early in the morning and, and you'll, get to, you'll get to experience this. Um, there's a, there's a it's, it's science. It's called radiational cooling. It's a thing. You can Google it right now if you wanted to and learn all about it. It's a period of transformation, though, as the sun begins to rise and warm the earth back up, and we feel that cooling. So the, the, the reason why it's a little bit... No, I, I should not go in to try to explain it, because I'm not the scientist nor the son of a scientist. But it's all the, the warmth that the earth has, has stored, essentially, um, and as the sun is coming up, it's that transitional temperature, temperature drop of now the heat coming back into the earth. Um, it's fascinating. It's easy. The reason I bring this up is because it's easy to shy away from the type of transformation that God's hope offers us. Sometimes we're so blinded by the light that we're like, I don't know that I want to shine that <laughs> into the deep, dark recesses of my life. It kind of feels a little cold out here because now I'm kind of sticking myself out here. It requires us to acknowledge our part in the darkness. It can be difficult to want to change what we've been accustomed to, even if it's for the better. There's plenty of studies done on this. But if you're brave enough to trust God, with his story, and brave enough to trust God with the story you tell yourself and the one you live, there's an unshakable foundation of hope that we can see lived out in the lives of countless people who've been transformed and changed by Jesus that should give us the courage to change. One of the starting points in our faith developing into full hope and trust in what Jesus has done for us is saying yes to him saying, yes, I, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And one of the things that we do that represent that belief, that symbolizes the transformational change that God takes us through, is baptism. Um, being in front of people, however many, ad admitting you're a sinner in darkness, in need of the light of the Savior, it's a waiting thing, and that can be chilling. But we've got a really good heater for our baptistry now. Um, so we can take the chill out of that. But God is just simply asking us to take on what he's already freely given and to recognize that the hope that he offers for us is brighter than anything that this world can possibly conceive of to offer. And finally, we recognize the light from God's story in the way that it shines. In verses 6 through 7, you know, that's where we get the description of the type of person, the type of Savior, this type of Lord and King that Jesus is going, is going to be. And some of the ways that Isaiah uh, um, talks about and describes Jesus is he says, wonderful counselor, and sometimes there's a comma there, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. These titles describe, titles describe the characteristics and nature of the Messiah, the anointed one, our king and savior, who is Jesus. But there's one in particular that I want to draw out that provides a sharp contrast in the type of kingdom that shines forth through Jesus versus the kingdoms of this world. The light that overcomes the darkness through Jesus increases through peace. Here's, here's, here's why this is significant. One of the reasons that Matthew refers to Isaiah 9 in his gospel is as he's 
writing to his Jewish audience, he wants them to get a clear picture of the type of kingdom the Messiah is meant to establish. Not an earthly one that is only concerned with political and economical aspirations, but a spiritual one that is represented by how we think and how we talk and how we act, how we love our neighbors, how we love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the mind of Christ will not be in his military conquest of the kingdoms of this world, but in his universal conquest over sin and death, providing redemption and reconciliation and resurrection and the ability to make all things right. This is the peace that he brings. That's not how anything else works. This is, this is unique to how God operates and how he creates us to be. Kingdoms and empires expand and seize control through war and power and manipulation and destruction. And all those things seem so powerful. And it has created an endless struggle. We just talked about this through the letter of Revelation just the last several weeks. has created an endless struggle through the history of humanity. And yet the good news of God continues. Nations rise and fall, dark times in our, our, in our humanity's history come and go, and yet one thing has always consistently remained. The story of Jesus doesn't change. And in the true story of Christmas, we can expect and anticipate that there's something greater to come in the morning, even when it can seem darkest and coldest in the night before the dawn. Jesus has come and is coming again and expanding his kingdom through making all things right. And he can and will establish that peace in your life. It's the oldest Christmas story in existence, and one that is a story that is worth telling and repeating and living out. And so my encouragement to you is when you're making your to-do lists and scheduling your traditions this Christmas season, let me encourage you to also plan out what you're expecting and anticipating that God is doing in your life and will do in your life as we recognize that Jesus is the light of the world, who has drawn us out of the darkness and given us a reason to celebrate and to tell a brand new story. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, this time that we've had to uh, just spend some time in the real Christmas story, the one that, um, the one that matters, the one that changes uh, our entire lives. God, we just ask that you uh, help us to be reminded through your Holy Spirit of how the story is meant to impact our daily lives, how it's meant to impact how we experience what, what happens um, around us. And God, we praise you. We, ask, we thank you for um, the anticipation and expectation that we have uh, that there's, there's light dawning in our life and in this world because of you. And so God, help us to, help, help us to live that story out. Help us to uh, share that one. And, uh, and look forward to uh, the life to come as a result of it. God, we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.